one thing is necessary. What is the one thing you can't live without? That was the question that a website posted, and 10 persons posted the following answers. Coffee in the morning. My hubby in the evening. Air conditioning in the summer. Fireplace in the winter. My cell phone, my iPad, access to the internet. Joshua would love this. My Swiss army knife. <laughs> I knew you would love that. Music and TV. So what is, the one, what is your one thing? The one thing that you can't live without. Now every trained counselor, and we do have one in the house, uh, Christina, every trained counselor can spot relationship triangles, like the one that we're going to find in today's lesson. So two sisters are on different pages regarding their relationship with Jesus. One sister is busy serving Jesus. The other is busy sitting with Jesus. And so the server asks Jesus to rebuke the sitter. And Jesus uses that teachable moment to teach them and us about the one thing that is necessary. Luke chapter 10. And we're reading verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I want to say to us this morning that discipleship, discipleship requires passing on the good to prioritize the necessary. If you are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, there are times when you will have to pass on the good thing in order to prioritize the necessary thing. Now, I believe that we do an injustice to this passage when we elevate Mary while shaming Martha. People with a merry disposition can become prideful, thinking that Jesus prefers them over people like Martha. And people who identify more with Martha can feel guilty thinking that Jesus does not value people who are wired like them. But I want to say to us, first of all, that this passage is not about women or about personality types. It is a passage about discipleship. Jesus never intended in this passage to guilt women who too easily get caught up in the busy work of maintaining or keeping the home. 
Jesus intended to show how easily we all, all of us, can fall into the trap of allowing good things to distract us from the one thing, the one thing that is necessary, our discipleship or our pursuit of Christ-likeness. Some people refer to discipleship as spiritual formation because as you attend to the spiritual disciplines of worship and prayer and scripture and other things, you are formed into the image of Christ. So they call it spiritual formation. It is how the Spirit works in us through the spiritual disciplines to form us spiritually. And the one spiritual discipline that Jesus says is more important than all the others is his word, his word. Now back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, as the people of God were journeying from Egypt to the promised land, God commanded them to make his word their most important discipleship priority. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, and chapter 8, verses 2 to 4, we find these words spoken by Moses um, on behalf of, of God. Or God speaks them through Moses' lips to his people. He say, says this, The whole commandment that I command you today, sh you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So that, what that tells us is that disciples or people who are following Jesus Christ, they must live, breathe, drink in, read, memorize, recite, confess, and practice the word of God as a way of life. Amen. And so what Jesus says to Martha in this passage about the priority of discipleship also applies to us who are disciples of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to say is that Jesus never meant to imply that activity was bad. Jesus would never condemn having a lovely home where everything was put away, where everything was clean, and everything ran on schedule unless it distracted you from the one thing that was necessary, your discipleship. Jesus would never condemn being busy running a business unless it distracted you from the one thing that was necessary, your discipleship. Jesus would never condemn taking time for travel, for recreation, for family, entertainment, or even rest 
unless these activities became a distraction from the one thing that was necessary, your discipleship. And so the point of this passage is that drinking in the life-giving words of Jesus is by far and away the spiritual activity that is most vital to your Christian life. No wonder that the devil tries so hard to keep us from the word and to keep the word from us. A disciple of Jesus must often make the difficult choice of passing up good things for the necessary thing, which is our discipleship. Now, lest we begin to throw stones at Martha, I believe that she should be commended because she did the good thing. She welcomed Jesus into her home, which is more than some people are prepared to do. Some people have never welcomed Jesus into their home, much less into their hearts. And so Martha did that. She welcomed Jesus into her home. She was hospitable. Because you see, hospitality was a hallmark of that culture, the culture in which Martha lived. If you traveled and night fell before you got to your destination, what you were required to do was to um, go to the public square. And anyone who saw you in the public square was obligated to welcoming you into their home and to provide accommodations for you and your entourage if there were other people that were traveling with you. So Martha is doing the good thing. Now remember that Jesus did not call or text ahead to say he was coming. He just showed up at this um, lady's door. And so Martha, who is probably the older of the two sisters, she welcomed him into their home. She felt the pressure, and I'm sure that women here can relate to that. She felt the pressure of the responsibility to offer him a clean house, comfortable relaxation, and an on-time meal. Now, which woman here does not feel that pressure? Uh, which woman here would feel comfortable uh, welcoming Jesus of all people, of all, of all your possible guests, Jesus, into your home if you had um, a home that was not picked up, you had dirty dishes that were piling up in your sink and laundry that was scattered all around and meals that were not prepared on time, which, which of you would feel comfortable opening your home to somebody like that? So this is not a condemnation of Martha for wanting to do the good thing. Instead, it is to point out that good things, things that are not necessarily wrong, are often a distraction from the one thing that Jesus said was necessary. Let's go back to our text. And she, meaning Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted by much serving. Now notice that the contrast between these two sisters couldn't be clearer. One was distracted by serving, which was a good thing. The other was attentive to Jesus, which was even better. She was receiving from him 
She was listening to his life-giving words. Now, there was a Jewish saying that went something like this. Quote, let your house be a meeting house for the sages or the wise men. And sit amidst the dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. End of quote. Our church must become a meeting place where the most, the most spiritual activity that we engage in is not our worship. That is a good thing. Good thing. It's not necessarily our praying, which is a good thing. I don't know of any church that can function without praying. It is not our fellowship, which is a good thing. We need to be fellowshipping with one another. The most important spiritual activity we engage in, according to Jesus, is sitting with him and drinking in his words with thirst. There's a blessing that comes with that. Because Jesus said, quote, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is right teaching as well as right doing, for they shall be filled, end of quote. Now please notice that Jesus was not talking about being filled with more knowledge about God, which is a good thing. But he's talking about being filled with the knowledge of God himself, which is an even better thing. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer wrote, and I'm going to take a minute to read a paragraph from his book. He says this, One can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. Many of us have never really grasped this. We find in ourselves a deep interest in theology. We read books of theological exposition and apologetics. We dip into Christian history and study the Christian creeds. We learn to find our way around in the scriptures. We find ourselves asked to give our opinion in public on this or that Christian question, to lead study groups, to give papers, to write articles, and generally to accept responsibility for acting as teachers and arbiters of orthodoxy in our Christian articles. Our friends tell us how much they value our contribution, and this spurs us to further exploration of God's truth, so that we may be able, I'm sorry, so that we may be equal to the demands made upon us. All very fine. Yet, knowledge about God and the capacity to think clearly and talk well on Christian themes is not all the same thing as knowing him. We may know as much about God as John Calvin knew, and yet all the time we may hardly know God at all. And so more than any other Bible character, the psalmist David, and he was not a perfect character by any means, you know all about David's mess-ups and mistakes and his affairs and all that stuff. Well, his affair, he had one affair. But despite all of his glaring imperfections, this is what David, this is David's one thing. He had one thing. And his one thing was to pursue God in order to really know him better. In fact, in order to really know him. And so this is what he says in Psalm 27 and verse 4. He says, one thing have I desired, have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, 
and this is his one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What is your one thing? And so the point of the passage that we read this morning is to move us from being a many things disciple, a many things disciple, to becoming a one thing disciple. From being distracted by the good to prioritizing the one thing that Jesus said was necessary. Here's our second point this morning. And it is our final point, actually. Jesus demands discipleship with the right attitude. And so it's the one thing to be engaging in discipleship. It's quite another thing to make sure that you're doing it with the right attitude. I believe that churches are filled with Martha types and Mary types. I'm sure that if I were to do a quiz here this morning, I'll see some of you who would say that you identify more with Martha. Some of you may say, very few perhaps, that you identify with Mary. But we have churches, and our church is no exception, that have Martha types and Mary types. And so if you are Martha, what you tend to do is that you despise people like Mary because you find them lazy. <laughs> I, I heard that. <laughs> you find them lazy, and you can't stomach people who are lazy, can you? All right? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So she's over there and she's being lazy and I'm being busy serving you. You identify more with that. And so if we're honest, we would, we would admit that we sometimes struggle with this very thing that Martha is struggling with. Servers often have difficulty with consumers. Because they're bearing all of the work, and consumers are doing all of the consuming. Now, if you are Mary, you can't understand why people like Martha are so busy serving when being with Jesus is much better. Right? <laughs> you can't understand what in the world are they doing. I can just be with Jesus. That is so much better than doing all the work that you're doing for Jesus. Now, Martha is a server. She's a server. She has difficulty with Mary because Mary is just a sitter. And Martha gets her kick out of serving, but Mary gets her kick from just being with Jesus. Which of the two is wrong? I think they're both good. But Martha doesn't realize that she's serving Jesus with a bad attitude. She doesn't. We know that she's serving Jesus with a bad attitude because Luke tells us that her service is not out of love for Jesus. It is described as a distraction. It's a distraction. And a distraction takes our focus away from the necessary thing. Her attitude is wrong because Jesus tells her that she is anxious and troubled at many things, including because Mary's just sitting. She's anxious about that. She's troubled about that. She's even upset about that. Now in the book of John, in the gospel, there's a conversation between Jesus and John. I'm sorry, between Jesus and Peter. It's about John. Okay, so 
There's a conversation happening between Jesus and Peter, and this conversation is about John. Because Jesus has just predicted the kind of death that Peter was going to die. He has told him, you know, Peter, when you get older, somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go. And, and Peter understands that he's talking about his death. But out of the corner of his eye, Peter looks and sees John. And so he says to Jesus, Jesus, what about John? What about this man? What's going to happen to him? And I love Jesus' answer. Because Jesus replies to Peter, what is that to you? What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. In other words, don't worry about John. Your business is to follow me. Now, if you're going to serve Jesus, you must serve him without becoming upset with people who aren't. You must serve Jesus with love and not out of a sense of comparison, that you're competing with somebody else to see who is serving better. And certainly, you must not serve him out of anger. And so because Martha is serving with a bad attitude, she becomes upset with Jesus, but she becomes upset with Mary, and then she accuses Jesus of not caring. Jesus, if you really cared about me, you would commend me for serving you, and you would chastise Mary for just sitting. Have you ever noticed that when we want Jesus to settle a dispute between us and somebody else, we usually want him to act the way we want him to act, right? We want him to commend us and take our side to say that we were right and the other person was wrong. But like every trained counselor knows, they reject that bait. They refuse to take sides. They refuse to get involved in that triangle. And so instead, notice what Jesus does. He refers to what we call a double address. Calls her name twice. Martha, Martha. That's usually a sense of caring. So, so Martha is accusing Jesus of not caring. And Jesus is, is showing her by calling her name twice that he really does care. So he's not guilting Martha because of her activity. He's correcting her because of her attitude. He says to her, you're worried and you're upset about many things. You are comparing your busyness in serving me to Mary's devotion in being with me. It is making you anxious. It is making you upset. But notice that Mary has chosen the necessary thing. And this necessary thing will never be taken away from her. And so while Jesus does not condemn Martha, he actually commends Mary. He says that Mary's priorities are really in order. He says, serving me is good, but being with me is better. It is better to prioritize being with me and then let your service flow out of having been with me. I don't know about you, but I find that my service to Jesus is way better after I have been with him. After I have been with him. After I have heard, sat at his feet and heard his words, my service to him is way better. 
than if I just came and tried to serve him without having been with him. And so I want to challenge us this morning to sit at Jesus' feet and to drink in his words with thirst because there's no better food or drink than being with Jesus. The bottom line of our message is this, the priority of our lives must be to sit at Jesus' feet drinking in his life-giving words. I have three application points to share with you as I close. I want to say to us this morning, first of all, whether you're here in person or viewing online, seek first, that means priority, seek first to know Jesus, to know him. Don't settle for just knowing enough about Jesus to defend yourself, because some people do that. Some people engage in apologetics just so that they could defend their position. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for knowing enough about Jesus just to win a religious argument, in case you get into one, or even a cultural argument, or just to pass for being a Christian. Get to know Jesus. Allow the life-giving words of Jesus to enter your soul and to change you from being a sinner to being a disciple. Here's what Paul tells us about how you become a, a disciple of Jesus. You must first believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins. Is there anybody here this morning who does not believe that Jesus died for your sins? Okay, let the record show that we all believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose again. And then confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And so I want to challenge you to get to know Jesus by first allowing him to save you. Is there anybody here this morning who needs to allow Jesus to save them? You want to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he rose again. And you want to be able to say with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you do that, the Bible says you're saved. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you, is there anybody here this morning who is not saved and who wants Jesus to save them today? May I see your hand if that is you? In this very sensitive moment, it is a conversation between you and God, and you want to let God come into your heart and save you. It's a very special moment, very sacred. And if this speaks to you, would you give your heart to Jesus and show that you want to do that by raising your hand? Amen. Is there anybody else? Father, we pause right now. We sense that this is a very important decision-making time in somebody's heart and life. God, we pray that this moment will not be wasted. We ask that somebody would say in their heart, 
and with him. They believe in Jesus, that they want to be saved. Lord, for that hand that was raised, oh God, we know that it was raised before, so we ask God that you would confirm in their heart that the work you have already done is effective. It is lasting. Just give to them a desire to keep following you, learning about you, and serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say to you secondly this morning, serve Jesus because you love him, not because you're trying to compare yourself with somebody else. So you serve him out of love and not comparison. So what I'm asking you to do then is to consider your motive in serving Jesus. Consider why you are really serving him. Are you serving him because you love him? Or are you serving him because you are in competition with somebody else? Are you tempted to feel self-justified that you're doing more for Jesus than those who need to get busy serving Jesus? So we must all check our motives in serving Jesus. I need to do that as well. So I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. We need to check our motives in serving Jesus. If you will serve him, then serve him for the right reason, which is your love for him, rather than comparing yourself and your service to somebody else's. Thirdly and finally, I must challenge you to prioritize spiritual formation over spiritual activity. Jesus said, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary, and nobody can take it away from you once you have it. I love this line. I quote it often. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of one with an argument. If you have the experience, no matter what somebody says to try to argue, you are not, you're never at their mercy because you have that experience, and nobody can take that experience from you. And so if you prioritize being with Jesus... If you prioritize drinking in his words with thirst, you get to know him, really know him. And you are never at the mercy of anyone who can only talk about what they're doing for Jesus. I want to say to us this morning that you can't be spiritually formed without engaging in discipleship. Can I say that again? You cannot be spiritually formed without engaging in in discipleship, without craving what Paul calls the sincere or pure milk of Jesus' life-giving words. We must never settle as a church for being a church where only 30% of us are engaged in some form of discipleship. That's, that's, only, that's less than a third of us. We can't settle for that. We want our church to be spiritually formed in the image of Christ. And when we are spiritually formed in the image of Christ, then we are trained through our discipleship to serve. You cannot be busy serving 
without first be busy being spiritually formed. Let us pray together. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it. God, we ask that you would now send us a way to ponder the things we have heard and to practice what we have heard. Lord, for some of us, we're going to have to make a big jump. A jump that makes us uncomfortable. Maybe a jump that makes us swallow our pride. But Lord, I pray that you would challenge us with the truth of this word. That we would allow our hearts and our lives to be formed spiritually. So that we become like you. And then we engage in service that flows from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.